Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, and we are podcasting on Halloween. So naturally, I have to ask, John, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, and before you answer, I'll let you know I bet on you to say Snickers as the favorite at plus 300, and I also put a few bucks on the Chunky Bar as a big plus 8,000 long shot. Oh, I hope you bet with your head and not over it there, Eric. Um, <laughs> you know, like all sensible kids of my day, the color and the design of the wrapper was kind of paramount. So mm, okay. the Snickers brown boy was just very unappealing. The candy itself is good, but the the wrapper didn't do it for me. Uh, the chunky, I think, was silver and in a weird shape or something. So that's not going to work. Um, mm. You know, see also like Goldenberg's peanut chews, uh, Mary yeah. Jane's Necco wafers, all before your time, probably. But no, no, uh, I know them all, and they are all maybe not the Necco wafers, but the others yeah. I know, and definitely, yeah, boring wrappers. Yeah. 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 My favorite candy as a kid was really the long forgotten rally bar, but uh, that's definitely before your time. Yeah. Um, but any any milk chocolate candy aside from that lame Hershey bar, you know, with just plain. I mean, really, you got nothing else to do on there. <laughs> chocolate's good, but it needs a friend, you know. So, you know, combination of peanut, nougat, caramel, rice, like Nestle's Crunch, that's all mm-hmm. good. Um, you know, Twix wasn't even around when I was a kid, which is a shame because uh, that might be my current favorite. But uh. um Damn, I, I almost went with Twix instead yeah. of Snickers. It was between yeah. those two for me. Okay. Yeah, the wrapper is a tiebreaker there, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was tough as a kid living in a pre-Twix world. That's easy to say. Uh, <laughs> but the constellations were vast. I mean, think about it. No adult supervision. Pillowcases instead of those lame, tiny, pumpkin-shaped <laughs> plastic buckets. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, full-size candy bars, no minis. Uh, and with a minor costume modification, an easy double back to the best houses for candy among the 150 <laughs> or so that we tried in round one. You know, we think about gambling. That, that's what it is. You, you, you knock on the door and they come out there and you don't know what you're going to get. You know, you got you got a big win and then you get a bad beat here and there. It's just uh, quite a combination. <laughs> Good job putting a, a gambling spin on <laughs> it all. I like that. Um, for me, in terms of favorite candy, I, I included Snickers because uh, that, I guess that re- reveals something about my own preferences. It's it, For me, it's between Snickers and Heath. I'm a big fan of the toffee. Oh, uh, no. Uh, no, no, not up your alley. And think of the wrapper. Hideous. <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover or a candy bar by its wrapper. One other one that I love, not that anyone gives these away for Halloween, but uh, the hard-to-find coffee nut M&Ms. Those are are dangerous for me. I can eat a lot of them and, and have a lot of regrets in a short period of time. Do they have caffeine also, or? Uh, I'm, you know, that's a good question. I didn't even check uh, to <laughs> see whether they actually have. Yeah, I guess so. But I love anything coffee flavored, and those oh. are those are good. But I, I've I've yet to find them in Pennsylvania. I've only found them when uh, when traveling to other states. So, well, thank you to everyone for joining us for this special Halloween edition of Gamble On, episode number sixty three. If you missed any of our previous sixty two episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. And when you answer the door for trick or treaters tonight, make sure to ask them if they're Gamble On subscribers who've rated and reviewed the podcast before you offer them candy. Yeah, that's going to go over well uh, <laughs> everywhere, I'm sure. Um, but coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by 2006 World Series of Poker champion Jamie Gold, uh, who, in addition to his poker credentials, was an advisor on that new movie called Inside Game. It's about the Tim Donahue NBA betting scandal, of which I am all too familiar, as we'll get into later. Um, and we're going to talk to Jamie about poker, sports betting, movie making. Um, but first, it's been yet another busy news week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. The 
Major sports betting deals keep coming, and they don't get much more major than Yahoo getting involved in the space. Yahoo Sports, with its 60 million active users, is partnering with MGM Resorts. But importantly, Yahoo is not starting its own branded online sportsbook, a la Foxbet. Rather, it is putting its promotional power behind the BetMGM product. The integration is expected to launch in New Jersey in November. There was a lot of hyperbolic language in the press release, some of it perhaps a bit overboard, but certainly Yahoo is a very mainstream outlet with an enormous reach, and BetMGM could use that. It is not among the higher-earning mobile sports books in the New Jersey market at this point. Uh, for what it's worth, Yahoo entered the daily fantasy world in 2015, but hasn't had much success. Certainly Yahoo hasn't challenged DraftKings or FanDuel for supremacy. John, do you see Yahoo having more success as MGM's partner in sports betting? Well, I'm really intrigued by MGM going back to oh, almost a year and a half ago now when I was in Manhattan for that NBA MGM deal. And I was like, mm. what is this partnership all about? And it's starting to make more sense, obviously. Um, MGM already seemed to have made deals with just about everyone else in the industry. So I picture someone out there having a bingo card and getting to yell out that famous word because uh, they've hit just about every combination. <laughs> um, I, I think it comes down to to what that massive database of Yahoo fantasy players means. You know, for DraftKings and FanDuel, obviously, players risking money on their sites have provided a seemingly seamless transition to not only sports betting, but even online casino gaming is working for them. Mm -hmm. um, but can you get people playing very casual, free sports games on Yahoo to start wagering real money, get them over the top there? I'm a little skeptical, except... Their database has got to be big enough that they only need a nice sliver of them to convert to uh, to make it work. So, you know, Yahoo couldn't figure it out. So props to them, at least for a pairing with MGM, which has important allies across the sector and gives it a chance. But um, please don't make me rank the mega deals over the past month, because I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure each of them deserves to be number one. <laughs> yeah, God, there there have been so many. And and now, you know, the New Jersey market is where this uh, particular partnership is is going to first test the water. And it's of just course. it's just so crazy. Crowded, though, already in New Jersey, and so many bettors have already found their favorite site or two that I kind of think it'll be hard to, to make a dent uh, in, in that state. MGM's focus, I think, should be mostly on other states. Uh, certainly, they have a strong brand in Nevada. And if they can launch in some of these new states simultaneously to DraftKings and FanDuel and FoxBet instead of falling behind them in some of these new states, they'll, they'll have a chance. But I don't know. They're going to have to improve the app and improve their offerings and really do something to stand out. I'm just not sure that the massive mainstream reach of Yahoo will prove to make an enormous difference. Uh, you know, when, when it comes to sports gambling, those two DFS giants have built up public trust and, and big databases of exactly the sort of customers online sports books want. So they're just not going to be easy to catch. Uh, you know, deals like this, they're big attention getters. We write about them and analyze them. We see the name Yahoo in lights and we get all excited. I suspect that we might look back at this one in hindsight and shrug. I'm, I'm just not sure how big an impact it's really going to have. Well, one other point is I wonder how long this deal was under under a discussion, you know, because mm. um, like as you point out, it, it would have been great to have this done a year ago. So yes. uh, MGM, again, was out front with the NBA. That was like the first deal of any kind in the industry. So so they certainly are pioneers. And yet they're just getting to this one now. So I, I have a feeling that's on Yahoo, perhaps, that they just weren't ready. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see if it's too late. All right. Our second story this week. Uh, we've been close with Michigan sports betting before. 
is this time going to be different? On Wednesday, the Michigan House passed a sports betting bill by a 63-45 vote, uh, though it has an effective tax rate of 12%, and Governor Gretchen Whitmer wants an 18 and a quarter percent tax rate. So some are predicting a repeat of what happened with outgoing Governor Rick Snyder last December, another veto. Still, technically, this is progress. A bill has advanced, and in addition to sports betting, an iCasino bill advanced out of the House as well, passing by a 62-46 vote. The representative driving the legislation, Brant Iden, estimated that the bills could eventually generate 80 to $100 million a year in new tax revenue. But there is already a fair amount of pushback on the tax rates, with opponents saying they want to pass legislation, but not necessarily this legislation. As we know, Michigan has had the rug pulled out from under it once already, and that was with legislation that passed by a wider margin than these bills did. What do you see happening here, John? And is there something positive to take from this, even if Whitmer ultimately rejects it? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it seems clear the governor preferred to not have online casino at all, um, mm-hmm. not just not just online slots, um, which she says could harm the state's eye lottery product. And I wouldn't be surprised if online poker once again winds up as collateral damage. Mm. Um, sports betting has a better chance, clearly, but I, I think it would take a veto override, and that seems problematic. I mean, is this the hill of an issue the legislature wants to die on in terms of setting up other battles on media issues? I mean, we got a Republican majority versus a Democratic governor, so that's a little different than New York, which I've gone over a lot. Of, but still, um, there's progress here, but I'm not convinced this happens under this administration, period. Um, unless Republicans agree to a much higher tax rate, which is not great for their base, but at least they don't have to get it quite to your Pennsylvania's levels. Right. Yeah. No, I don't know if anyone's going to going to going to touch those levels. But uh, yeah, that I mean, with Pennsylvania in mind, it might seem like 18 percent taxes isn't so crazy, but it's still, you know, there's a big gap from 12 to 18. Uh, the battle within the battle here is over the school aid fund. Uh, Whitmer wants to make sure enough of the tax money is directed toward that. And Iden says he has complied. But Whitmer spokesperson Tiffany Brown said, we continue to have revenue concerns regarding the bill's negative impacts on the school aid fund. Uh, you know, and Whitmer has also expressed concerns about this, the, the, the slots part, taking business away from the state's I-lottery, as, as you mentioned. And, you know, we've seen the lottery get involved in other states. State lotteries are possibly second only to Sheldon Adelson in opposing online gaming expansion. Um, of course, I'll say this for Iden, he's wisely playing the offshore card, uh, noting that if they don't legalize and regulate online casino and sports betting, well, people in Michigan are doing it anyway, and the state isn't seeing a dime and the players aren't protected. That's always a smart card to play. Uh, whether it will resonate enough to get something past this calendar year, I'm not sure. Uh, that's a good one, but I, I think the won't you please think of the children one is, is always a winner <laughs> for the politicians. You know, that's, yes. uh, uh, Seniors, uh, that, that polls well, but the, the children is even a little bit better, I think. So. You're right. Yep. <laughs> All right. Our final story this week. Uh, While we were at G2E two weeks ago, we reported on the New Jersey sports betting handle and revenue numbers for September. Now we have the Nevada numbers, and they're quite interesting to analyze, especially when you compare them to New Jersey. The Garden State had edged Nevada in terms of betting handle three times recently, but September was a different story. As the OG of gambling states, uh, I know I'm too old to say OG, but I'm saying it anyway. Uh, I'm not even sure what it means, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, I believe it's something like uh, original gangsta or something like that, but okay. I could be yeah. I could be so old that I don't even really uh, know myself, <laughs> right. and I'm making a horrible guess and putting it out there for the world to laugh at me. Oh, well. Anyway, uh, Nevada beat New Jersey by more than $100 million, $546.3 million in handle to 
445.6 million, this despite Nevada not having as thriving an online betting industry, due in large part to the in-person registration requirement. But hanging out at a sportsbook for a day of football remains a popular activity in Nevada, whereas event-based sports betting hasn't taken hold in the same way in New Jersey. So in the first month of football season, Vegas was king. John, what do you extrapolate from this? Will New Jersey eventually emerge as the winner on a consistent basis, or is the New Jersey market close to maturity and Nevada will retain the throne until a more populous state like Pennsylvania or, or Illinois reaches sports betting maturity? Yeah, you know, New Jersey ranks 11th in population, and I feel like the top 10 states are kind of the Phil Hellmuth, you know, uh, uh, showing up an hour late for the tournament and uh, just losing his uh, <laughs> his small ante uh, each round because right. everybody's playing around. That's great, but nothing's really happened yet until those states get going. You know, uh, mentioning the the sportsbook experience. Uh, yeah, when I visited Atlantic City, they have eight sportsbooks altogether, and I visited all of them on two recent weekend days. Uh, I noticed there seemed to be maybe a total of a thousand seats or so. I mean, for that's a Vegas, which seems to have of, uh, well, they don't have a million, but they have a lot. Um, so, yeah, there's no comparison there. Um, we all know neighboring Pennsylvania is going to take over first place uh, at some point, or to say exactly when. Right. Uh, then Illinois might have a shot at the crown. I, I think Pennsylvania is a better betting state, but the Chicago market's probably great. So that's that could be a fun battle. And then, of course, New York could topple both easily if they ever yes. decide to offer legal betting on people's smartphones or uh, at casinos fewer than 100 miles from Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly whenever New York uh, really gets their act together with regard to online, they'll become number one. And then we will be saying, uh, well, they're number one until California gets its act together, although yeah. uh, that seems much farther <laughs> off. But um, but, you know, speaking of Pennsylvania, our recent guest, Matt Peralt, uh, saw the Nevada versus New Jersey numbers and immediately noted on Twitter that he thinks Pennsylvania online sports betting launching is a major reason New Jersey's numbers came up a little short of expectation. Mm. And I agree. Uh, you know, I know that the bridge and tunnel traffic from Manhattan gets the attention, mm. uh, but you got a long border separating New Jersey and Pennsylvania with a lot of places mm -hmm. you can cross it. I'd bet almost as many of New Jersey's customers were from Pennsylvania as are from New York. Uh, and despite what Chris Christie says, those Pennsylvania residents <laughs> aren't still going into Jersey much to place bets. Uh, the, the gap between Nevada and New Jersey in September was wide enough that I think Nevada would have won anyway. But losing Pennsylvania customers is probably the difference between that $445 million in bets that New Jersey got and the $500 million that, that some were predicting. I think that's plausible. Yeah, I'll give you that. All right. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. It's hard to believe it's been 13 years since poker fans watched Hollywood talent agent and amateur poker player Jamie Gold table talk his way to victory in the biggest, richest World Series of Poker main event ever. And even after all this time, I can't quite believe Paul Wasika folded that open-ended straight flush draw. But time moves on, and Jamie has kept busy continuing to play poker, raising more than a half billion dollars running charity events, and most recently serving as an advisor on the movie Inside Game about the Tim Donahue NBA sports betting scandal, which goes into nationwide release this Friday, November 1st. So we have plenty to talk about as Jamie joins us now on the podcast. Jamie, welcome to Gamble On. Thank you for having me. So let, let's start with the movie. Uh, how did you get involved in Inside Game? And are you directly connected in some way to the Donahue scandal? 
yeah, I, uh, I am very close with the person who financed the film, who was also one of the producers of the film, uh, Paul Martino. He and I uh, invest in some other things together in the tech world. Hmm. And uh, he runs Bullpen Capital um, and just a great guy and very generous and kind and very sh- smart and sharp. And, and he got the rights to this project and produced it with prolific producer, Michael Pierce. Um, and it was directed by a friend of mine. And so I was just in and around following the project. I have not actually seen the movie, but I read the book. And the story is so incredible. And if you love these kind of 30 for 30 documentaries, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those, you know, amazing true stories in sports that I know that I was personally affected by as a, uh, as a sports better mm-hmm. um, during that time. And we all know um, that he was the one who got caught, but there's no way that he could have been the only one that has ever had bias or an interest in one team or another winning that was either a player or a referee in professional sports. So it just makes you think, you know, whenever we're watching games that we just feel like what is going on, you know, just as a sports fan fanatic, I, uh, you know, I, I have certain frustrations and feel like, you know, there just has to be bias. Whether it's whether they're being paid off or not is a whole other story. But, you know, we, we just as human beings, we all we have bias. And so maybe not even a conscious bias. But if something can go one way or another and you're a diehard, you know, fan of one of these professional teams, you would imagine that it might go the way you want it to go subconsciously even. Right. And so th- this whole Donahue scandal it, it, that when they told me that they produced this movie uh, inside game. And I knew that they were working on it. I just told them that if there was ever any way that I could help them, I would obviously love to help them. And then, you know, all of a sudden this whole incredible uh, cheating scandal came up with in poker that I was completely intrigued by um, and didn't want to believe that he was actually cheating. You know, you know, the whole possible scandal right yes this yeah we, ju- we in, just in, had we just had uh we had joey ingram on the podcast a few weeks ago talking about oh, it and yeah and right, yeah we, right what a, what a hero he is yeah but we were also planning to, to, to get your thoughts on it too definitely so yeah and so so sorry I, i'm i'm just segueing into that but <laughs> that's cool it's uh yeah it's it's so i just th- i just thought what a perfect time where uh people are calling me to 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 give my opinion on this poker scandal um and their movies coming out november 1st and you know in all 30 major nba cities around the country you know a theatrical release let me help you market this movie and so it's actually my pleasure um i am an advisor with paul in the parent company that has an interest in this movie but i can't take any credit i did not produce it i was not involved with it from the beginning um, it's something I'm coming into late in the game, um, but I'm I'm just such a, a you know a fan and so intrigued by you know this story. Right. And so it's for anyone who's a gambler, anyone who you know cares about these kind of human stories about people who were fallible and and you know, who've made massive mistakes and 
kind of corrupted a game that we all love. Look, I've been cheated by the best of them in some of the biggest <laughs> private games in the world um, for millions of dollars over my lifetime. And so including in, you know, in live casinos, for sure, I've been colluded against and the cards have been marked. And, you know, there's all kinds of ways in in major sports and poker that you can be cheated. And I'm, I'm so glad that this has come out. People think that the Apostle scandal is bad for poker. I disagree. I think it's actually a very positive thing because it shows that we cannot be so lax in allowing people to, to do a live stream without oversight and that, and that there should be more stringent laws and that there should be worse penalties. If you get caught cheating in a poker game, it should absolutely be a criminal offense and people should be going to jail and, you know, remember what, what was his name? Russ Hamilton that, that, right. that got caught, um, the, you know, the taking, ultimate bet scandal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and somehow there, he's not legally, you know, going to jail for that. I mean, it's, you know, I, I've been, I mean, I, I, you know, I've been taken advantage of by many, many people from, from my own, you know, ignorance and generosity and kindness. And I, I blame myself. I put myself in those positions way too many times trusting the wrong people. Um, but I don't find this bad for poker. I think that it's, that it's a positive thing because it's making people much more conscious. And I think it's going to make the games cleaner. And, you know, I'm always very careful about games that I play in because I want to make sure that, that, especially because I'm playing sometimes at a very high level. Look, I love playing $1, $2 games, $2, $5 games. I'll play at the smallest level with friends. I'll play just to pass the time. And I'll also play in some of the biggest games in the world. And so when I play bigger, you know, I was just playing in Ivy's room last night and playing at right. the Aria for the last few days. And these are pretty, pretty big games. They're not, <laughs> they're not the million dollar buy-ins, but they're pretty substantial. And you have to be really careful about who you're playing with and, and who could potentially be playing together. And you have to be very focused when you're playing in these larger buying games. And so I, I think that this is great for poker. I think that it, it shines a light on things that need to be fixed that we need to be more conscious of as a poker community. You know, I, I'm, I'm very, um, very much a, uh, a proponent of stronger uh, regulations for, for poker mm-hmm. um, and that things should be, you know, it shouldn't be so easy, you know, for people to enter a tournament and dump to each other and do things like that, where, you know, there's just too many ways for people to collude that I feel like uh, I'm just, I'm really glad that this has come out, that, that people see that it was, it was actually really easy for him to do right. until he got caught. Right. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't know. How, how do you feel about it? The, the same way that, uh, I, you know, I ha- it's one of those things where the point you made about the live streaming and how we need that stuff to be closely watched and, and regulated. It never would have occurred to me before this uh, that someone might try to take it take advantage of that. And so the fact that this has all gone down and all the people who've helped uh, bring it to light have done their part. I think whenever you shine a light on these things, it may be a little bit bad for poker's reputation uh, in the short term, but you're absolutely right that it's better for the game long-term to make people aware of what's going on and let them know you can't get away with this stuff. You're going to get busted. 
Yeah, I, I'm on my part. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of noticing uh, Jamie that. You know, this opened my eyes. A lot of amateur players were just shocked by the whole puzzle thing. And from what you're saying, you know, obviously, you know, the pros know there's all kinds of cheating all over the place. And, and maybe it's good for everybody to realize that you got to be on your guard at every level, as you said. But I'm curious about this particular version of cheating. You know, was it unique in any way? Is it something that you think a lot of players have done before? I, I think it's related to a much larger issue that is not just about poker. I think that anything where there's a financial gain or a power gain, whether it's in politics, in business, in poker, in sports, in any form of gaming, I think that it's, it, there's always a potential for, at the minimum, some type of collusion. You know what I mean? Let, let's just look at, look, look at the NFL, right? So it, you can take a completely opposite example. Someone in the NFL can, can have a friend on the other team and soft play against them, right? Where they maybe, or they, they know that they need certain stats to get their next contract. And maybe they don't, you know, maybe they don't want to embarrass them on the field and they allow them to have some big reception. Is that cheating? You know, it's, it's whatever. It, there's so many shades of this in that. And, and I've been guilty of, of soft playing my friends. In in the main event, you know, the one that I won, I absolutely made a mistake where I had friends in the tournament that I did not want to knock out. And so I didn't play as hard against them as I did against other people. And now, was I purposely trying to cheat and affect the game? No, I, I, I believe that I was just being kind to my friends, but I now look back on it and realize that that was not okay. Mm. And that, look, when you're playing in a home game, and you don't want to hurt your friends. And sometimes, you know, I have friends who go all in on me for a very large amount of money. And I say, I'm going to let you take that back because I have the nuts and I feel bad. And I don't want to take your money. And I do that way too often for my own, <laughs> you know, benefit. But I sometimes am just too kind in a poker game. And so is that cheating? I don't think so. But when it's in a tournament setting and it can affect other people not just your friends in a home game. Right. I totally understand that I did something wrong. I didn't cheat, but I did something wrong. And then I, and I, and I worked very hard to make sure that I don't do that again. And so I, I think there's all kinds of shades in anything that we do that's competitive and anything where there's a reward and a gain at the end of it, that I think it just goes where, you know, we just have to be much more careful about having laws and regulations in place that stop that from happening. And what's so funny is, and I, and I know Eric, you're, you're very well aware of this is so when they changed the whole, uh, you know, poker talk kind of thing where, right. you know, after, uh, you know, I use that to great benefit where they kind of stopped it in or enforced it a lot more in tournaments. In terms of being able to talk about your hand, basically, you're saying. Right. And, okay. and, and, you know, and a lot of people blame me, and rightfully so. I did definitely use that to my advantage. I knew I wasn't the best player in the world. My only shot of really winning this tournament was to talk people in and out of their hands. And I still believe, and most of the greatest players I know believe, Daniel Negreanu is very public about this, that we should be able to talk about whatever we want to talk about at the poker table, as long as we're not, and then it actually shows if you're colluding or cheating. If, if you're playing with, you know, with other players, I believe that you should be able to talk, uh, it's, but when your head's up and it doesn't affect any other player in the hand, 
Right. You should be able to say whatever you want that's not insulting or berating another player. I don't believe you should be able to yell or insult another player or, you know, be a jerk about it. But if you want to actually try the whole Jedi mind trick and do all of that <laughs> psychological play, it makes the game so much more interesting. And we should absolutely be able to do that. But, but the fact that they, they put those – I understand that at least the intention is that they don't want players colluding is what they're saying is, what, is why they're not allowing us to talk. Because then we could actually talk to each other and say, hey, I don't want you going out of the tournament and I want to slow play with you. And it, I get it. I get the intention. And I love that. I want – as many rules and regulations in place and the TDA rules. And I, I want poker to be as safe and secure as possible. And I want to be, and I want to be a, you know, a positive influence on poker in any way that I can always. And right. so, sorry, I just, I just went on this, uh, <laughs> that's all right. You know, no, it's, long ran. It's, it's, it's all really interesting stuff. Uh, getting away from the cheating side of things, just a, a general poker question for you. I'm curious, uh, how much are you playing these days? I know you were on uh, Poker After Dark again recently. How much are you playing? And what if you had to isolate the, the biggest way in which the game has changed since 2006? What's, what's the biggest thing that's different these days? Yeah, so I really don't have uh, a schedule, which, which I enjoy. I kind of you know, take it day to day, week to week, month to month. Where whenever I have time, free time, I love poker is my favorite hobby. Okay. Uh, that and, and consuming content, movies and television and, um, mm. and things like that is, you know, I, I'm, I, I love it. And so I, I just, I play whenever I have the opportunity. And sometimes, you know, I play almost every day for a month. And then sometimes I don't play for two or three months. Mm. And I, I try to play in as many charity events as I can. I try to donate as much as I can of my time. And I try to make a few major tournaments a year, but I've never been that kind of, you know, dedicated professional. I've never really been a poker professional. Mm. I've always been an amateur that just absolutely loves it and got very lucky in one big event. And so um, I've hopefully I've used that in, in the best way that I can to, you know, to, to be positive for the world and, and raise as much money and awareness as I can for all these great causes. But I've never had the urge to try to win as many tournaments as I can. That's just not my, my style. Right. Um, I think there's just so many other things that I want to do with my life. And I actually, I applaud the, the people who do do that for a living. It's a grind I, for me. I just, I couldn't just play tournaments all year round you know, maybe when I retire someday, if, if I ever do, I don't know if it's in my nature <laughs> to, to just be completely retired ever. Right. But um, yeah, to, to your other question, how has poker changed in the last 13 years? Right. Oh my, it's, it is so different. Uh, I think every year to two years, the, the kind of ecosystem and the, uh, the playing styles and the just the overall aspects of of poker really change and then i'd say every five years it's completely different so let's say some of the major things that have changed from back then i mean the players the level of skill that the players now have on an average player now would have been you know maybe like one of the best players in the world back then. Right. Right. Like the, the level of play is just incredible. 
And obviously, it's a function of the amount of information that's available. Think about it. Back then, 15 years ago, what did we have? Super system? That was about it. <laughs> right. That mm-hmm. no one was sharing their knowledge. You know, I, like I begged Johnny Chan, please, you know, teach me. And, you know, he was very kind about it, but he just let me hang around and kind of figure it out for myself, all the things that, that I did not know about the game. And then I knew I, I, all the levels that I really had to study you know, I was maybe playing on three levels when he was playing on seven levels. So just because you can beat all your friends at chess does not make you a grandmaster, right? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I was crushing all my little poker games with all my friends and thought, wow, I'm a great poker player. And so I started playing with the best in the world and realized, wow, I have so much to learn. Yeah. And so I dedicated myself as a student. And, and I, I, I constantly realized how little I knew two years ago, right? And so... Mm-hmm. Every couple of years, I realize, wow, I was, I was just not a great player a couple of years ago. And now I think I'm a pretty good player. And then two years from now, I'm going to realize <laughs> I was not very good a couple of years ago. And so if I can circle back on, on Donahue a little bit, because uh, uh, I've actually mentioned on this podcast that, you know, before the NBA bean counters realized in the early 2000s or so that those courtside media seats were really worth a lot of money per game. Uh, but until then, beat guys like me had literal front row seats to some of the misdeeds on Donahue. Right. So I'd see him make what I saw as a bad call, sometimes from not even 10 feet away way literally and i was so naive that i just chalked it up to him being a mediocre awfully uptight referee so, uh, <laughs> right. so now so I, I thought about this you know obviously poker players make a living reading other people right and um so the, and you're a big sports fan so you think if you had my seat for all those games or all over the country in the 90s uh might your poker powers have sort of smelled a rat there you know i would like to think so <laughs> but you look look you know i i i'm also you know, I, I guess I'm, 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 I'm equally an optimist as I am a cynic and that, you know, I, I, I understand the realities, but I hope for the best in people and you hope that the game would be clean, but you have to understand the reality of, of how easily it is for somebody to get corrupted for whatever reason. And so it's, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not a path that I would ever go down, but that, but I understand that there are, that human nature has, there are certain human beings who, who are only, are, are maybe even looking for that path, right? Like it's just mm. because it's something that we would never do. You know, we have to understand. I'm, I'm very, I like to think that I'm at least aware of, of the masses and that how different human beings are and, and mm. the, and the spectrum of, of people and what they're willing to do when they have to do it, right? When you're in a bind and, and they, you have no choice, at least in your mind, you think you have no choice. Yeah. I always believe you have a choice, but some people feel like they have no choice. And so going back to your question, I hope that I would smell it out, but, it, but yeah. I still wouldn't want to believe it. Yeah, well, I guess more broadly, I'm asking uh, if reading tells that a superpower that goes beyond the poker table or does it stay right there at the table? <laughs> Well, it's, I'll tell you what, it, it, it could be. I have some friends that are so brilliant that they're constantly using it and, and feel like they need to read every situation and every person. One, I don't, I don't like to put in that kind of time and energy into everyday life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not always, but when I'm in a poker game, it's obviously that part of my brain is, is on because that's my job in the poker game, right? Is to read people and figure out exactly what's going on. I need to know the two cards in your hand without you, you know, with the limited information that you give me, I like to pride myself on 
80 to 90 percent knowing what someone has um, and, and, and where they're at. Um, otherwise, I feel silly when I'm, I'm just playing in a game. Then I'm just gambling. And, and I do that sometimes. I'm not paying attention in a game and, you know, just playing some fun PLO and, and just straight gambling. And I, and, I'm, and I enjoy that. But it's in life, unless I turn it on, I'm not just trying to constantly analyze. But I, I would think that in a, in, a, in a situation like that, watching a ref, and if, when I have money on the game especially, <laughs> yeah, I, <didn't. laughs> I would like to think that, yeah, that, that my radar would be pretty sharp mm. and that I would have to feel like he was doing it on purpose. We don't know why, right? And so mm. that, that's, was he paid off? Was he, does he just hate the other team? Is he in a bad mood? Is he, you know, p- human beings and emotions are so, you know, uh, the, the human beings, I should say, are so driven by their emotional state that that can affect Right, that a referee can just be in a really bad mood one night, and or or just not sharp that night, or right. I mean, it's yeah. there's so many reasons why, but yeah, now knowing and going back and looking at those games, it's it's pretty amazing when when you do know, and then just thinking about, you know, how many other people have not been caught, right. He just got caught. <laughs> right. He, he's he's the name we associate with it. He may not be the only one who's ever done uh, something like this. Uh, so, yeah, it's certainly certainly fertile ground to uh, to explore uh, with, with this movie. And uh, you're obviously coming at it from an, an interesting perspective there with a lot of knowledge about the subject. So, you know, look at, looking forward to the release of this movie. Again, it's called uh, Inside Game. Uh, I, I was a, a big uh, Party of Five fan. Am I right? Scott Wolf is uh, one of the stars of this? Yeah, Scott Wolf, uh, he's great. Okay. And, um, and, you know, so charismatic. And Will Sasso, I love so much, hmm. um, is always great. It's a great cast. And um, I just, I love the story. I, I, I can't tell you anything specific about the film um, because I haven't seen it yet. But purposely, I'm waiting for the premiere ah. because I really want to experience it with everyone else. So. Yeah, it's it's I'm really excited and just excited for my friends and and any way that I can help get the word out. I just know that any gambler, anyone who loves those type of, you know, documentary stories, this is not the documentary of it. This is actually the live action version of it, right. which is really cool. I just love great human stories anyway. Yeah, uh, sounds really interesting. Certainly best of luck uh, with with Inside Game and uh, with everything else. And it's uh, it's been great talking to you, Jamie. Uh, th- thanks so much for coming on the podcast. You too. Uh, thanks thanks for having me. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, we update our betting bankroll, and it was a clean sweep for the good guys this week. We went three for three. Uh, John's bet on Ohio State, minus 14, was an easy winner. Classic Mm. case of uh, wishing uh, you'd used points bet, I presume, Uh, John? uh, Again. (laughs) Again, yep. Um, I got the win with Derek Tesora to knock out David Price. That fight ended in the fourth round. That's not the Red Sox pitcher, is it? No. Uh, no. (laughs) Different different David Price. Uh, That that I might have watched, actually. (laughs) 
And I, I predict uh, Chizora would have knocked him out earlier than the fourth had, uh, had he yeah. fought him. But uh, And then uh, the third bet was the Thursday night football player prop. That streak remains intact. We're now at five in a row, although it wasn't easy. Dalvin Cook pushed past 90 and a half rushing yards with about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. So we won $300 this week, meaning we're back in the black. We are profitable by $29. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, we also have $2,427 on hold in futures bets, meaning we have $7,602 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and I guess I have to do another Thursday Night Football uh, player prop bet. Definitely. Yep. <laughs> and by the way, shame on any listeners in legal sports betting states who aren't tailing these bets at this <laughs> point. I, I don't know what more you people need to see. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm, hopefully I didn't just jinx it by recommending mm, that. But um, we have the 49ers at the Cardinals, and I'm picking against one of my favorite players in the NFL, old man Larry Fitzgerald. Mm. He's 36 years old, and it looks like he has been introduced to the wall. Uh, last two games, one catch for 12 yards against the Giants and two catches for eight yards against the Saints. And the 49ers are number one in the NFL in total defense and number one against the pass, allowing 128.7 passing yards per game. Uh. Fitzgerald's over under is set at 44 and a half receiving yards. And even though Arizona has big injury issues at running back and might have to pass the ball more than they'd like tonight, uh, Christian Kirk is back competing for targets. And I just don't see Fitz doing much. Let's try to make it six winning player props in a row. $110 to win 100 on Larry Fitzgerald under 44 and a half receiving yards. That's uh, interesting. You make a compelling case, but uh, okay. you're right about the no running backs. But uh, it doesn't necessarily mean they get the pass. I mean, they may just be able to do nothing. So we'll see. Right. <laughs> um, so I've got the Houston Cougars. Um, now, they racked up 500 or so passing yards uh, last week against top 20 school SMU. So now they're getting 23 and a half points against UCF, which doesn't even go undefeated anymore. I mean, so, yes, please. That's 112 to win 100. 112 to win 100. OK. Uh, Houston plus 23 and a half. Huh? All right. Um, so uh, for my next bet here, uh, I decided to do a little math on my boxing bets since we started this podcast. I was just curious how I was doing overall in these. I'm happy to report that after last week's win with Derek Chisora over the other David Price, our boxing bets are at plus $803. Uh, and, wow. and that's despite me starting the whole thing in week one, you may recall, with a $500 loss on a big favorite. <laughs> uh, so if we start in week two, I'm up $1,303. Wow. Uh, so wow. it pro proves there's something to be said for betting what you know. Mm -hmm. And this Saturday, we have one of the biggest fights of the year, middleweight champion Canelo Alvarez, the biggest star in boxing, moving up two divisions to light heavyweight to face Sergey Kovalev, who, in a fun twist, is that big favorite from 2018 who lost and cost our bankroll $500. <laughs> uh, anyway, I have believed all along since this fight was rumored that despite giving away a few inches and a few pounds, Canelo will win. He's younger, sharper, smarter, and just plain better. I'd say there's about an 80% chance he wins this fight, but at odds of minus 420, it's not worth betting on him to win outright. I think it's about 50-50 whether he'll stop Kovalev or win a decision, and if he's going to stop him, it's almost certainly going to take him a few rounds to wear him down. So the bet I like is plus 290 on Canelo by knockout between rounds 7 and 12, so anywhere in the second half of the fight. I'd say the true odds on that should be about plus 230 or so, so I see some value there. Let's risk $100 to win 290. 
All right. Sounds good. Um, you know, I wish I had a feel for that Florida Georgia line. Uh, Eric, that's a, a musical reference for our Southern contingent. <laughs> I got it. Many coworkers. Got it. You got it. All right. You yeah. did. Uh, since that is the game of the day. Um, however, I don't have a feel for it. So okay. uh, instead, give me Georgia Tech plus seven and a half at home against Pitt. Now, most ACC games are just random scrums since everyone in the league seems to be three or two and two and three in the conference. So one ten to win 100 for the free touchdown. Okay, uh, and we close things out with the Fast Five, where you widened your lead on me last week, John. You had a solid three and two week. I stumbled just a bit at two and three, meaning you're sitting pretty at twenty-two seventeen and one, and I have some catching up to do at nineteen twenty and one, and we'll be more than halfway through the season after this week. So I better start making my move soon. Uh, but you're up first this week. All right. So I have a little time to pad my lead, I hope, uh, before I do my inevitable fade. Um, <laughs> Panthers minus three and a half against the Titans. Um, Panthers is a classic uh, horse racing step up in class. And uh, yeah, it wasn't pretty last week. Um, now home cooking and a mediocre opponent. That's the remedy there. So uh, next is Chiefs minus two and a half versus Vikings. Look, the Chiefs battled the Packers nicely last week with a backup quarterback and Vikings aren't as good. So there we go. Um, Dolphins plus three at Jets, or first Jets, actually, at home. Uh, anyone who watched Monday Night Football, for some reason, um, saw that the Dolphins are as good as the Steelers, who aren't good, but they're better than the powder keg Jets, so there's the logic. Uh, then I got Colts minus one at Steelers. Um, Vegas' line love for the hapless Steelers continues to mystify me. Um, I, I just I don't see you know backup quarterback for the Steelers. The Colts are clearly a better team, and I'm not giving up much. That's easy enough. And then finally, uh, Patriots minus three versus the Ravens. Uh, I really, really want to short the Patriots off that terrible schedule they played. And I will, but just not with this Baltimore banged up secondary. Uh, Tom Brady's going to smell blood and Tom Brady's going to taste it. All right. Uh, well, we're mostly on different games this week. We have one pick in common, and otherwise uh, I'm on four different games from the ones you picked. This is a tough week. I, I don't see a single game that I feel really confident about, um, but I'm going to start with a nice shaky pick in London between two teams that can be up and down from one week to the next. The Texans are favored by one. I think they're the better all-around team than the Jags. It's a neutral field. This is risky because you just never know which version of either of these teams is going to show up. But I'll take Houston, giving one point. And if I'm wrong, well, uh, I guess that's good news for our overbet on eight wins for Jacksonville. Mm. Uh, next up, I never feel great about backing my Eagles. Uh, they're another team that swings wildly from week to week, but they're getting a little healthier. Deshaun Jackson might play and open things up on offense. They're at home. The Bears are sputtering and, and don't have a quarterback who can take much advantage of Philly's weak pass defense. I'll yeah. take the Eagles to cover as four and a half point favorites. Here's our pick we had in common because, yeah, I, I looked at this spread and uh, and scratched my head over it. The, the Colts by only one point in Pittsburgh. Uh, the Steelers are not good. Mason Rudolph is not good. I was tremendously unimpressed with him watching that Miami game last week. Indy has a good defense, solid quarterback. I would have expected them to be about three point favorites, even on the road. So I'm with you. I'm picking the Colts. Next up is a battle of two teams. I wasn't expecting much from at the start of the season, but they've both exceeded my expectations. The three and four Raiders hosting the three, three and one lions. Another game I'm picking where it feels like anything can happen, but mm. Oakland is getting the hook as a two-and-a-half-point favorite, so I'll go with the Raiders. Uh, and lastly, this Seattle team, when they win, they don't win by much. Six points is a lot to trust them to cover, even at home, even against Tampa Bay. I'm going to have divided rooting interests here since I think I'm taking Seattle in my survivor pool, but so be it. I'll root for them to win by a modest amount, just like I did with Pittsburgh on Monday. I will take the Bucks getting six points. Mm-hmm. 
And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Jamie Gold. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, Eric, after 17 years, I have lived long enough to experience the long-delayed opening of American Dream Meadowlands, the new neighbor of the fabled racetrack, the FanDuel Sportsbook, and if this $5 billion uh, shopping and entertainment project pans out, maybe a full Fiat Casino someday next door. Um, but, you know, there's plenty of gambling to be done uh, regarding American Dream already, uh, sort of like the Halloween candy reference. Um, you know, for instance, parking turned out to be free all weekend, so uh, that was a plus. Um, some people paid forty nine ninety nine a pop for all-access passes to the indoor amusement park. Others walked in and got a bracelet for nothing. That's a whim. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially for those who are paying, meanwhile, uh, the gamble has been more about what kind of food is going to be offered. Uh, so far, what's been derided as airline food, uh, prepackaged sandwiches and soft drinks has pretty much been it. So uh, uh, if you're going to pay that money, that's a little bit tough. Um, and then locals and tourists alike are really going to play for higher stakes uh, up in the ante, we would say. Uh, starting in two weeks when the asking price will be a whopping $79.99 for this amusement park for a full day of rides on possibly a less than full stomach uh, wait that actually might make sense but but, but that's, a, that's a lucky coincidence for them i think um you know and if a number of the thrill rides remain closed as they did the first weekend um well it's time to teach some non-gamblers about the concept that uh, we referenced earlier which is the bad beat so with that until next time everybody gamble on <laughs>